Hello and welcome to the Purpose and Meaning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Newton, and today we're joined by Peter Ildefonza. Peter has an Instagram page by the same name where he talks about gun ownership, personal responsibility, and what it means to be a man. In today's conversation, we talk about all those things and how he started his page and where it's going. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. So let's get started. Cool. Well, well, Peter, welcome to the Purpose and Meaning Podcast. Really enjoy you uh, taking the time out of your your work schedule to join me today. Um, would love for you to just give an intro to the listeners, kind of who you are, what you do, and a little bit of background on your Instagram page. Yeah, dude. And thank you so much for having me on here. I'm super excited. Um, so a little bit about myself. So my name is Peter, and I right now am running a mostly on Instagram um, but a little bit on YouTube as well. Just a, a channel and trying to establish a community related to guns, fitness, and uh, masculinity, essentially. So the idea is it, it's a it's a little bit of a struggle in like how to present or which one to present the most. But rather than just purely focusing on firearms and the presentation of like, hey, I love to shoot, etc. Um, the focus is more of like the principles behind that. So I don't think it's just about like owning a gun. I think it's like the lifestyle of owning a gun, the reasons for owning a gun. And I think that along with like the reasons for working out and being fit are very much tied into masculinity and what men are called to be, what men historically have always been, good men, I should say, and what I think men nowadays should be striving to be. Um, so that's what I'm doing with uh, Instagram. And like I said, trying to branch out and do a little bit more with YouTube. That's kind of the goal for this year is to really get my teeth into YouTube a little bit more. That's very cool. What, what kind of started your, your passion for this subject? Um, how did you get into guns, masculinity? You have just amazing production value too on your videos, which I love. Um, I, I, I don't know Appreciate when I started following you. I think it was maybe a couple hundred, um, but I was like, dude, this guy. Oh, no gonna, way. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This guy is going to just the production value alone. He's going to he's going to make it big. So just kind of curious, you know, where did you build that skill? Was that in tandem as the Instagram page grew or did you have a passion for that skill? And then how did you merge that with the idea for the, the page? For sure. Um, so it kind of they all they all fit in together. So I'll go ahead and just tell you the story um, behind how this all started and that'll give you a little bit of uh, an answer that'll completely answer your question. So I have been doing uh, wedding filmmaking for the last six years now, um, six or seven years now. And I've had the privilege of basically learning that skill from my best friend that I you know, grew up with, my childhood friend from since I was like 10 years old, who started a company. And I joined him doing it about six years ago. And he had established like a top, absolute top tier wedding filmmaking business. And so I was able to learn from him and kind of like really just spend a lot of time developing that skill set and developing that craft. When COVID hit, so we specialize in doing like destination, like luxury, huge destination events. So that's why Red Diamond, Lake Como, Italy, which is a super common spot for that. So when COVID hit in 2020, obviously weddings, you know, gatherings of people was not a good thing. <laughs> Traveling was not a good thing. So that job just completely got shut down. And I started to think through like, okay, well, what else could I do? And how could I take the skill sets that I currently have and apply them into, uh, you know, into different passions. And to me, filmmaking, videography, photography, it's just a form of communication. It's difficult to be a good teacher, but good communicator nowadays without 
being decent or at least having someone who's good at, you know, on your team, potentially at filmmaking and production. So I started to kind of reevaluate and I had a little bit of a family history of military. So I instantly, when 2020 hit, COVID shut down, my job got shut down. My initial reaction, anytime I've had like a change in career path would be like, oh, I want to go into the military. Um, at this point in time though, I had just gotten married and, um, my wife was like, I will support you if you do that, but that's definitely not obviously what I signed up for because it's a radical shift in life set, uh, in lifestyle for her, obviously for me as well. But for her, she's like, we want to have a family. Um, I didn't expect that, you know, you'd be gone for months at a time and How all of that. So, that well, I mean, this is 2020, so I was 20. Eight, yeah, twenty. So a little older if someone were to join the military, but not not crazy, not crazy. And um, like the branches that I was looking into, and uh, they accept up to like thirty one or thirty two. So like I still had a window. Um, I was like, you know, I've worked out a lot and shot guns pretty much my entire life. So there's a level of preparedness there already. Um, And I had previously actually looked into, before getting into wedding filmmaking, I'd actually been in contact with recruiters and was planning on going into the military before. So it wouldn't have been like a huge leap. And maybe I should have started back with that. No, that makes sense. Um, So backing up a little bit more, my family uh, on both sides escaped from Cuba, fled the communistic Castro regime and came to America. I'm first generation American. My grandfather on my dad's side was Navy in, yeah, I think Navy in Cuba. And so that's actually how he escaped. He stole a military boat and came, um, came to the U.S., joined the military, then went into the CIA and basically was just running missions into Cuba, uh, intelligence gathering and stuff like that in other countries, pretty much his entire military career. So that is where I got like that kind of drive for shooting, um, I remember going shooting with him. He gave uh, my dad guns at a pretty young age and then just like working out and all of that sort of thing. So that's kind of where that history was. I then pursued different career paths, always thought about military, but was like, er, I don't know. I just had a, a passion for serving my country, honestly. Like, I know that sounds kind of cheesy and I know a lot of guys would relate to that, no. but I, I never played uh, like Call of Duty. I never watched war movies. I never did any of the things that oftentimes trigger guys to want to do those things. I can say it was actually like fairly organic (laughs) and just hearing stories uh, as a kid. That's really cool. Um, So fast forwarding, when 2020 hit, a lot of those passions and desires and interests kind of came up and I started thinking about the military again. And one, because I was married, it was like, it's probably not a good idea. Two, because of the current political climate with the election coming up, not knowing who was going to get elected. I was like, oh, depending on who gets elected, I'm not sure that I want to be under that authority. I reached out to some friends that I had who were in the military and they're like, it's kind of messy right now, dude. Like if I weren't already in, I don't think I would join. So that's when then I got the idea and actually um, I started watching. This is when I discovered Lucas Botkin's T-Rex Arms. And I started watching, I think you had... uh, Nick Jones on here recently. Yeah, yeah. So we actually were scheduled for next week, but yeah, he'll be on. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, he used to. So he used to, I think, be the primary like Instagram guy. I don't want to steal the thunder. (laughs) No, it's all good. No, he's he's a huge name for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, So anyway, so like I started watching Lucas and 
it then just kind of clicked to me. I was like, wait a second. Our founding fathers intended for civilians to be the primary people who serve and support freedom in our country. They didn't even want a standing military. They wanted just a militia because that's how America was founded. So that's when I was just like, hey, I don't need to actually go into the military to pursue these same things. So I was like, well, what do I do with that? I'm like, well, I'm a decent filmmaker. So what if I just start pursuing as much training as I possibly can, as if I was going into the military? And I'm not comparing that and saying like, oh, I'm doing the same thing. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. But as much of those skill sets towards preparedness and strength as a civilian, as a man, let me pursue those things and then just use my filmmaking skills to share the process through social media. And so I started doing that beginning of 2020 and it's kind of refined throughout the the process. As I started doing it more, I was very broad. I had no clue. I was like, okay, I'm just going to start shooting more and working out more and share it. And let's see what happens. And throughout the last couple of years, it's kind of refined when I started to realize like, Oh, Almost everyone who was following me was like young men. The people that I was seeing um, outside of the gun space and like in the fitness space, I feel like there's a huge um, movement in a sense of like young men that are hearing the call to be more, that they're like, they're dissatisfied with the status quo of our generation. And they're saying, we want to be better. We want to be more. And that's when a shift into talking about like masculinity and some of the principles there kind of came in. And I started to bring those things together. That's awesome. So it was kind of a, you reflected on who was following you and you said, Hey, there's a lot of crossover here. Let's, let's merge these worlds. Is that kind of how it went? For sure. Yeah. 100%. And I think there's so much of a, it, it makes sense, right? So you have a lot of young guys who are, and girls. Um, but I think like, 80%, no, probably closer to 90% of my following is men. And I think like when you look at that demographic, you have a lot of guys who are recognizing like, oh, I need to be strong. If men aren't strong, we have problems. I'm physically supposed to be strong. It's also very mentally healthy to, to work out and exercise. And it's obviously physically healthy. So you see a lot of guys who are taking ownership of their health, of their mind, you know, rejecting um, a lot of the principles that are being put forth today and like, Hey, you, it's okay to be this. It's okay to be that. And I'm like, no, I want to be strong. I want to be mentally capable. I want to be focused and disciplined guys like, you know, Jocko Willink, obviously are huge names on the discipline side of things. Uh, David Goggins is another person who's, you know, having a huge effect on young men and calling them like, Hey, do more. You're capable of so much more. Jordan Peterson, same thing. And if you look at those guys, I think, I think David Goggins says like 80 something percent, same thing, 80 something percent of the, his followers and people who like contact him are young men who are like, we're not satisfied. There's something wrong um, with what we're being told we should be. So let's be more. When you take that mindset, it obviously drives you into fitness and it drives you into working out and all of those sorts of things in America in particular. I think that's also going to drive you into gun ownership. And I don't simply say guns because guns could be like cars, right? It's like you could own a gun like you own a car. Everyone owns a car, but who's actually like a fantastic driver, right? So it's not about just owning the gun. It's about the lifestyle of gun ownership and training with it and knowing how to use it and being skilled with it. 
because now you're you're taking ownership of your health with fitness of your mind with guns you're taking ownership of your personal safety and of the safety of your family and friends that are around you which i do believe is like a, a man's responsibility so to me that's a logical next step or first step as guys are on that journey towards ownership of their life yeah and and that makes a lot of sense where do you see kind of a two-part question what are your influences what are some of the thought leaders you look to or, or how did you build your own perspective on what it means to be a man and then for people who feel like they're being told to be other things, what is it about our world today that is pushing them in that direction versus personal responsibility? Um, those are very, very loaded questions. <laughs> um, I, for me, my, I mentioned some of them already, my thought leaders, people who have really influenced me, Jordan Peterson is definitely a huge one. And this is obviously a little bit more recent. He's particularly impactful to me because um, to share a little bit of my life, uh, my wife's story as well. Um, he had a huge impact on her. We both grew up um, Christians and then kind of like strayed away from that or like a second guessed Christianity. When you're only brought up in a Christian home and you never see anything else, it's oftentimes easy to then be like, wait, do I believe these things because I believe them or because my family believed them? And so both of us went through a phase where we were like, do we actually believe these principles? And um, for her, that led her into, and I don't want to get into politics at all, but that led her into very, very leftist um, politics mm. and um, socialism and things like that, which I probably would have been, you know, disowned from my family if I had gone into that direction. Well, and it's hard, you know, it's hard <laughs> to not talk about politics in a sense. It is because politics are so social based now. Like politics aren't, um, a lot of people have, a lot of, I've heard pastors mention this. Politics used to be differences between Democrat and Republican and right and left used to be like, how much are we going to spend? Um, like what should our budgets be? Uh, what's our foreign policy? You know, like, should we participate in this war and that war? And those issues are still there, but now we have every possible social issue. Like what is a man? Can you own firearms? Is being fat and overweight a bad thing or are we being fat phobic you know for example these are all political issues now they didn't used to be but they are now yeah but anyway so she when we started dating that was kind of like a tension between us like uh, politics we could talk about it but we knew not to go there mm -hmm. she started listening to jordan peterson and he radically impacted her thinking a bunch of other people and we then started listening to him together. She got his book and read his book like super fast. And literally within like a few weeks of starting to listen to him, her entire worldview just shifted. Wow. And so that then it was shortly after that, I think that we got engaged because when that kind of clicked into place, it was like, okay, we're, we're together. <laughs> we're united. Um, 12 rules for life. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he's really impactful for me. Um, Jocko Willink has also been like hugely influential to just kind of like materialize some of those principles that I already knew. And I'm referring to these guys specifically, a lot of all of the principles that I would believe I, I assert come from the Bible. And so all of the truths that Jordan Peterson talks about and Jocko Willink talks about 
come from the Bible. But what's interesting about both of those two guys is while they recognize that to some extent, they've also observed that the world works in a certain way and the principles that they put forth work. And to me, I go like, yeah, that's because God made it to work that way. But as they've simply applied thought and effort and analysis and critical thinking to their lives to be like, how can I be a better person? How can I lead men into battle more? How can I help people mentally? If you're Jordan Peterson, they've come to the conclusion of all of these different principles because it's what works. And so for me, that's really, that was super helpful to see that and go like, oh yes, this isn't, it is what the Bible says to be true, but it's also what works because God didn't just randomly say, do this or don't do this. There is a reason behind it. And without getting into it too much, even if you look at like a lot of the crazy Levitical laws that to the Israelites in like, you know, the early books of the Old Testament, the Israelites would have been like, what in the world? Why do we have to do all of this ritualistic cleansing stuff? And it's like, well, germs you won't know about that for a few thousand years but germs and to them it's like what is this this is stupid this is crazy people thought they were crazy to have to like cleanse these houses when someone had leprosy and all of that sort of thing and it's like well, no germs yeah. <laughs> that's literally saving your lives by giving you these commands that seem like they're just waste of time or whatever else like that so i think the world works so those men observe that. And for me, that was really helpful to take the principles that I knew and apply them and get like really, really hands on with them. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's it's not just a set of dogmatic principles because it, they're all mm -hmm. integrated. Yeah, for sure. They're all integrated. So no, that's that's really cool. Um, what is it about from your perspective? What What is it about our culture and, and why are people trying to redefine what it is to be a man? Because I think it's it's integral to kind of your message, right? It, your message is countercultural in a sense, because mm -hmm. I feel like there's this big shift to, to, to view personal responsibility as not as important um, to kind of break down these lines between what it means to be a certain way in favor of this universal principle. Anybody can be what they want. Um, everything is possible for everybody. But when you look at the reality of things, we're constrained as human beings for very specific reasons and it's actually a good thing. So why do yeah. you think there's this attempt to, to, if you don't mind answering, you know, know. why do you think there's this attempt to break free from that? Um, no, I think that's a fantastic question. And one of the things that you said, um, like there are constraints to humanity and that's a good thing. I think that's a huge point. Um, and that's a super, I love that you said that because people oftentimes view breaking away from traditionalism as liberation. And in fact, it's the opposite. Embracing a postmodern worldview that says like, I can live my truth, there are no absolutes, is enslaving. And that's what, again, Jocko Willink, discipline equals freedom. <laughs> and it's like, discipline isn't a um, arbitrary thing. It's a pretty dogmatic, it's going to be hard. This isn't what feels good. Throw your feelings out the door and embrace certain principles that are going to help you live a disciplined and controlled life. And while that seems confining, 
like you said, it's actually not. That's actually a very, very good thing. Um, so I, I love that point that you made. I wanted to hit on that really quickly. Um, but why I think, why I think like masculinity, if I can redefine that question, why I think masculinity is under attack and why that matters so much. Um, first and foremost, because in order to, trying to think of like the best way to, to yeah. start off the question. Yeah. Um, I think masculinity is under attack because the people who are attacking it and the forces at play in the world that are attacking it are wanting to crumble society and men are the foundation of society. That's going to be taken in a very, very wrong way. So I'm going to explain it. The family is the fundamental unit of society. And if you look at this biblically, um, and you don't have to, it, it makes sense outside of the Bible, honestly. But if you look at it biblically, there's three institutions to creation. You have the family, you have government, and then you have the church. The last two were instituted after the fall. Family, marriage, is the only institution of creation that came prior to sin. So in a perfect world, you didn't need the church because they had direct communion with God. And you didn't need government because government's role is to intercede when things go wrong, right? At least that's what the role is supposed to be. Everything that a government does nowadays is not their role, but that's what the role was supposed to be. So you don't need either of those things. You only need that family unit. And so that is actually part of the original perfect design. The husband is the head of the home. And now I'm getting all patriarchal and everything. Sure, whatever it is. The husband is the head of the home. When you, if so, if you want to crumble society, you have to attack family. And if you want to crumble family, you have to attack masculinity. You have to attack men. Um, because even like in the Garden of Eden, and even if you took this metaphorically, um, which I don't think it is, but even if you took that metaphorically, Eve was deceived. Adam knew what he was doing and chose to give in for whatever reasons. There's speculation of why he chose to eat the fruit. It doesn't, I don't think it doesn't really matter. If it mattered, there'd be clearer discussion on it. But the point is like Eve was legitimately deceived. Adam is supposed to be the watchful caretaker and protector. He was the one who received the direct commandments from God, not Eve. He then communicated it to her. He was the one who was supposed to be protecting from that and he dropped his guard and he is the one who owned that step into sin and temptation. Mm. So if you want to crumble society, if you want to take over it for power, you know, just as governments wanting to control uh, more people, people wanting to be able to simply do whatever they want and throw off any what they believe are chains of traditionalism or chains of moral absolutes and things like that. If they're wanting to throw any of those things off, they have to attack masculinity. One of my favorite quotes along this lines that I first heard from Joe Rogan is um, hard times. And I always forget what the exact order is, but hard times create strong men, strong men, then create good times, good times, create weak men and weak men create hard times. And so it's like you have this circle and if you look at the world, it's everything is cyclical. Everything just comes around. If men aren't strong, societies collapse. 
civilizations fail, governments fail. Every single time, governments and societies rise and fall on the strength of men. The reason that I think masculinity is so under attack is because you can't promote anything that is self-serving. You can't take control of anyone. You can't have any form of power um, without first coming at the men. Yeah, and I, I kind of want to dig into that topic of strength. Um, maybe we're getting a little philosophical here, but you know, a lot of the times. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's great. I love it. I'm I'm all about it. I'm a philosophy undergrad major, so it's oh no way. Background, so, um, you know, a lot of people think men and strength, and they think physical strength. But talking to you, I, I get the sense that it's a lot more than that. Um, from your perspective, men and being strong, what does that look like for a truly masculine man to be strong beyond just the physical side? Um, I do think the physical side plays a huge part in that. It's just nowadays that's less easy to see. One of the things that I've talked about is the principles of uh, a lot of these principles, like men should know how to fight. Men should know how to use guns. Men should be physically strong. Those things didn't come into question until probably the last 150 years. Before that, if you weren't in shape, you'd die. Like you just, you couldn't survive, right? Um, if men didn't know how to shoot a gun, they wouldn't survive. The reason that the US, uh, like the colonies won the Revolutionary War is because they were more skilled with their guns. You read a lot of the accounts and they're like so many of these battles where it's like head to head and the British were just like losing troops like crazy left and right. And people who were breaking this down from a military standpoint were like, wow, the Americans just know how to use their guns better. Literally, this is like observations of Thomas Jefferson was citing. It's like Americans knew how to shoot better. Oh, I didn't knew know how to fight really better. Cool. And so it's like in the Civil War, you see a similar thing where up until Stonewall Jackson was killed and then going into Gettysburg and some supply chains were cut off. The South, the Confederacy, was 100% winning the war. And I'm not going to go into the Civil War at all right now, but they were men who were much more, these were the farmers. These weren't the industrialists, right? That was more in the North. The trade, the business that was in the North, the farmers and hunters and trappers and all that sort of stuff that was in the South, those men were much more comfortable with their weapons. So strength was simply necessary for life. Strength was just a part of it. So now we have to really address the physical side of things. Men need to be physically strong. Men need to know how to fight because it's not necessary for our day-to-day -day life because life is so easy. But beyond that, I think uh, one of the things coming back to Jordan Peterson, and I just like to quote a lot of people because um, everyone always, there's so many people who say things way better than I possibly could. So he talks about the principle of like men, um, people always say men should be weak, men shouldn't be competitive and this and that. And he's like, no, that's absolutely wrong. Men should be, not just men, but specifically men, men should be monsters. They should be extremely dangerous. And then they should learn how to control that. And that's actually what the word like meek in the Bible, any references of the word meek, that's what that means. It's the idea of power under control. And so what Peterson promotes is like, it's not just a physical sense, but it's a sense of being articulate. And this is something that I've talked about recently, knowing your beliefs, being able to communicate them, having your emotions under control in a way that 
you are able to act decisively without being influenced by whatever the trends are and whatever your feelings are telling you at the moment. He puts this goal, and I think this is a really neat thing to, to do, is that a, a very, very honorable goal for young men would be to try to live a life so that whenever their father passes, they are the strongest person and the person that everyone can lean on at their father's funeral. That has nothing to do with physical strength. That honestly, it doesn't even have anything to do with like being articulate and a good communicator. But you are a person that you have disciplined your mind and your emotions so that you're not collapsing in a time when potentially everyone around you is super emotional, unstable. They view you as like, I can lean on you. I can rest on you. And along that line, there's another quote from a super, super cheesy, um, I think cheesy TV show um, called Arrow. It's a DC, DC yeah. comic, uh, Green Arrow, whatever. But there was one spot and like the main character, Oliver, is like overly dramatic and everything else. The whole show is just, you know, so it's a soap opera, essentially. Uh, um, yeah, superhero soap opera, exactly. So there's this one point where someone, one of his millions of girlfriends, because he was always, you know, dating girls, um, makes a comment, like gets mad at him, like so-and-so just died and you haven't even shed a tear. What's wrong with you? And she's like, you should be grieving. And he was like, if I grieve, no one else gets to. If I break down, no one else can. So I have to maintain, and now I'm inserting here, I have to maintain composure so that everyone else around me is able to embrace their emotions. That to me is a really good picture of strength, being in control of yourself. And to the extent that other people are able to lean on you and rest on you and even be weak around you because you have your act together in a sense. How do you get to that point? That seems like, you know, maybe to someone starting out on their journey, like an insurmountable task almost to be that type of person. How do you start that journey to becoming someone others can lean on? Um, how do you start that journey? Uh, I can answer how to start that journey. I can't answer how to get there because I think we're very much on this together. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm a young guy. I'm 31 right now. So, and uh, very, very young father. I have a four month old, only been married for a few years. So completely on this journey. Yeah. Um, for me, this is where like, I think the physical element comes in. Um, so right now I'm reading um, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And uh, for those who aren't familiar, he's a guy who um, came from like an abusive past, uh, black man, uh, grew up in very like racist cities and stuff like that, where he's like the only black guy in his school. So even when it wasn't like outright, he did face some outright racism. Um, but even when it wasn't that, it was just like the, you know, being the odd man out is always a challenge. And um, this single family home, you know, grew up with just his mom and that was it. And just had a lot of ups and downs. Ended up going into the Navy SEALs and had a heck of a time because he, one, he had to lose like a hundred pounds to be able to qualify to go in. And then he was never a good swimmer at all. So like why choose Navy SEALs when you're a bad swimmer? But of course he's like, yeah, sure. Let's do that. Yeah. 
Um, and then he got pulled three times, twice, sorry. He got pulled twice from Hell Week due to an injury. So he actually, right after Hell Week, so he completed Hell Week three times. The first two times he got pulled right after because his body was breaking down. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. They pulled him for medical reasons. And the third time he was finally able to make it through. So he did three Hell Weeks. And then now he's like an ultra endurance athlete. So he runs like 100 mile races and all that sort of stuff. And for him, what he talks about all the time is that in order to be hard, so that's the term that he uses. He says, like, stay hard, like, be disciplined, don't give in to the status quo, challenge yourself to being as, uh, I'm going to stop using the word strong, I'm trying to think of a different word, challenge yourself and uh, to live up to your true potential and to pursue excellence. And he does that physically. So the idea is essentially you have to put yourself through suffering and it has to be chosen. It can't be something that suffering is going to come on you, obviously, and you can react to it. But when you choose to put yourself through suffering, usually the only way we can do that is physical fitness, right? Like we don't want to go out and start torturing ourselves, um, <laughs> which sometimes physical fitness is. To me, running an ultra marathon would yeah, absolutely be self-enforced. torture. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, but anyway, the idea is like by putting yourself through that physical challenge and that physical suffering, you're then able to control a lot of your impulses of, I want to quit. I don't want to do this. This is hard. This sucks, but you do it anyway. I think to me, and I think this is why you see a lot of young men jumping into fitness, the first step to trying to be a strong man, a dangerous man would be physical fitness. Go to the gym. Like if there was a young guy and I've talked to guys, I was like struggling with this and that. It's like every temptation you have, instead of doing that, go for a run. Every distraction that comes up, go hit the weights. Cause the benefit there is like, it helps you avoid distractions and temptations, but it also then has an amazing positive side and it'll boost your confidence. And yes, it'll hurt and it'll, you know, it won't feel good a lot of times and you won't want to do it, but establishing something that you do, whether you feel like doing it or not, is kind of like the first step. There are absolutely other things that you can discipline yourself in. Um, for example, before I got into physical fitness, for me, um, music was, was my passion. I pursued classical guitar. Actually, that's what my college degree is in is guitar performance. Oh, and at the age of like, Probably at the age of like 14, I was already practicing five hours a day. Like I just absolutely loved it. So there was a sense of dis there was absolutely a sense of discipline because that's not easy. That's always hard. And it meant not going to parties, not hanging out with friends, not doing sports, not doing this. But that for me was like a means of I am saying no to a lot of temptations and a lot of distractions and forcing myself to do something when I want to do it, when I don't want to do it, it doesn't matter. I'm not complying to my feelings and emotions. I think for young men, that's the first step and fitness and hitting the weights, going for a run is pretty much just like the easiest thing that you can do that also has huge benefits um, outside of just disciplining your mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've been, so I started cross country and track in high school and like pretty much since then I've just been either lifting weights or running or something. and. I couldn't overstate the benefit it's had in my life from 
just personal and building friendships and, you know, making me feel uh, kind of more rewarded in my own life. Um, yeah, definitely. For sure. Message. Um, yeah. You know, you, you and may- honestly, it's <clears throat> and something like right now, like, and this is why I say, like, I can tell you how to start that, that process, but like in the last um, being very, very transparent since starting Build Defonza and, you know, starting these, this, YouTube and Instagram and everything else like that. Um, I have very much observed. I've always either, um, I love working for myself and working from home, but I've always had someone or something as like my guideline, either working for an employer or when filming weddings, my friend was in a sense, my boss, I was contracting to him, but he was the one giving me deadlines and everything else. Mm. And it's always been very easy for me to self-discipline around deadlines with music and guitar it was like i did i always had a teacher right he would like keep me on track and and everything since starting this for the first time i have none of that if i decide not to post one day because i don't feel like it or whatever it is the only thing that's making me do that is me and i have really struggled with discipline in that and as I've struggled with discipline, I then like questioned myself and then I felt weak. And then there are times where like recently this year, especially since having a baby, there's a lot of times where I'm like, you know what? I need to focus on work. That's the priority. Fitness is not a priority right now. So I'm not going to go to the gym today. And that has at times led to one day, two days, three days, a week, two weeks of not going to the gym. And then my wife will be like, babe, get out of the house. You have to go to the gym. You're starting to like crumble. You're not feeling good. Like you're mentally out of it. Your focus isn't there. And it's crazy how it's just like sometimes one gym session and like, I'm instantly like coming back onto focus. And so it's not something that you can just like, oh, start doing. And it's just easy. Even though it's not necessarily a priority for me at the moment right now, building a business is I've started to notice like very, very recently, like in the last couple of months, like I, it doesn't matter. I have to do this because if I'm not consistent with this, if I don't have something that I'm forcing myself to do, whether I have other things that are more important or not, like I I need that suffering. And I think there's just a truth to that. We have to put ourselves to like some form of suffering to bring clarity to our minds. There's a lot to unpack in kind of the story that you just told from your wife's support to the focus on the fitness, despite all these other things. But how do you think about, from a discipline standpoint, that order of things that you're focusing on? Because um, you want to be disciplined in the weightlifting, but you also want to be, or the fitness side of things, but you also want to be disciplined in building this business. So in that journey, how have you found the the kind of balance or right way to prioritize and that's been beneficial to you um have me back on in like a year okay. <laughs> and i could give Fair you a better enough. answer because i'm 100 this is legitimately exactly what i'm wrestling with in my life right now um thanks for sharing that. the way that i'm i kind of hate the concept of balance i always have um I've always been called obsessed and obsession to an extent is the opposite of balance in my mind. And I've always said when uh, I've been called obsessed since I was like 12, um, I have this very obsessive personality. I got a ping pong table for Christmas one year. And literally, I think before even playing ping pong, I was like, mom, we have to go to the library. She's like, what for? I'm like, I need to check out books on how to play ping pong. 
And like I was reading books on how to play ping pong. It's like, no, I couldn't just play it for fun. I had to like figure out how to get good at it. Um, so I had this very obsessive personality. And I, to me, that's a good thing. And I would always say um, obsession is a undisciplined, uh, is a lazy person's word for discipline. Um, maybe that's true or not, but that's just my take. So I think balance is kind of, Here's how I'm thinking about it now. I don't like thinking about trying to balance different things. I think we need to, what I'm trying to do is have a list of priorities. Technically, you can only prioritize 100% one thing, right? But you can have a list. And so what I've done is I've ranked all of these different things that are priorities. And it doesn't mean like lifelong priorities, but I'll, I call it temporal priorities. And what I mean by that is, if I said, like, what is my absolute priority? Well, family, my wife, then my daughter. Right now, though, if you look at my days, it seems like work to me is way more of a priority than my four-month-old daughter. That's not true. What is true is, if I stop working to simply hang out with my daughter, who at four months old doesn't really need me, if we're being honest. Like, she needs her mom. <laughs> she can't survive without her mom. She doesn't really need me that much. I help and she, I think she loves me, but and I love spending time with her, but like the need in every minute isn't there, right? So that's why I say temporal priorities because my wife is also a priority, but she knows that me working and prioritizing work is for our family, is for the benefit of society, hopefully. So I say temporal priorities to differentiate from that. There are things that are chief priorities, but they're not necessarily always temporal priorities. So I have a list of temporal priorities business and building that and that's just this stage in life um directly under that is shooting and getting better and developing that skill because i want to um i think people who own guns should be very skilled i think the standard level of skill among people who carry for example is way too low uh, i think for me i would i would apply that same thing to me i think i should be much much better than i am um, so I'm really trying to develop that skill as much as I can. So business, shooting, and fitness. The only reason I put fitness under shooting is because I have a much stronger baseline of fitness already. I've been working out and training and stuff like that, mostly, you know, on and off my entire life. And in the last few years, it's been like a huge, um, a huge portion of my life. So I'm able to let it take a little bit of a backseat for things that haven't been as much of a focus. If you're someone who, like there's a lot of these guys, if you're someone who's been shooting a lot, maybe you're a competitive shooter. Um, you see this with Lucas Botkins and he talks about priorities and business has always been his priority and then shooting. And now he's going like, you know what? I have time. Let me start working on fitness because I do recognize that it's important and I can fit it into my schedule now. And I'm sure from his personality, he's probably going to get super jacked in the next few years. Maybe, I don't know. So business, shooting, fitness. And those are the biggest three things that take up my time. When I have to choose between one thing and I have to, I'm not trying to balance, but when I have to choose and I go like, you know what? I have this thing. I have to get this done. So like a few weeks ago, like I had a client who was asking for something. It's like, I have to get this delivered. I told them today, I told them I was going to send off this video to them today. If I don't get this sent off, I will look really, really bad and I don't want that. And then I will disappoint them and I don't want that. So that means that's my priority. 
I'm not going to dry fire that day. Potentially, I'm not going to go to the gym that day, potentially, because that thing comes first. What I've started to realize is a lot of the times when I think, oh, I don't have time to work out. I would be doing myself, I do myself an injustice by not at least going for a run because my level of focus just isn't the same. And so what I've kind of realized is as you're trying to balance all of those different things or balance, I, again, I hate the word balance. As you're trying to juggle all of those different things, sometimes putting time into fitness will actually just benefit everything else that you're doing. Um, a guy that I really, really love that's been a um, really inspiring for me recently uh, is a, I think he's a former Special Forces Green Beret, something like that, um, Nick Bear. Uh, he has Bear Performance Network, uh, Bear Performance Nutrition, BPN. Uh, he has a nutrition company. He's a hybrid athlete. He's done a lot of like powerlifting, bodybuilding, and endurance running and stuff like that. And he's he's like, if I skip a day of running, just my mental clarity is just not the same. And so I've started to realize that like, well, maybe I don't think I have time to do this. I don't have time not to go for a run or go to the gym because if I don't, and I'm not doing that on a regular basis, everything else in my life will eventually suffer. Yeah. Does that kind of answer the question though? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, I agree with you too. Balance is this kind of impossible goal. Um, it's, it's almost a distraction because you spend so much time trying to figure out how to balance things that that becomes the thing. It's, it's the balance yeah. that's the thing versus what you're actually doing and you never become great at any one thing. Um, or any, and I think that's the problem. Go ahead. No, that's it. Yeah. And I think that's the problem is people oftentimes go like, Oh, what's the big thing that people talk about balancing work and life, right? Like, oh, make sure you balance life with work. And um, to me, that's a bunch of BS. <laughs> like, no, if you're having to think about balancing those things, like your priority should be work. And that doesn't mean you're neglecting other things in your life. But especially as a young man, in my opinion, one of the best things that you can do for your family is to work hard, right? That's like build your career build a way to provide for your family, impact culture, impact the people around you, you know, make yourself a better man. Going to the gym could be a selfish thing. And I think a lot of people outside of the fitness world might view that as like, oh, that's all this, these vain selfish bros. You're just wanting to like look good or whatever. It's like, no, that's actually a necessity. And you're going to benefit your wife, your family, your children, your parents, siblings, whatever it is, everyone around you by disciplining yourself in that way. So I don't think it's, it's exactly that. I don't think it's a balance at all. I think it's very much like, no, you're pursuing certain things. And this brings it all back together. You're pursuing being strong. You're pursuing being dangerous. And where, and then you then have to work through to be able to manage your time, which is obviously very, very difficult. But I think the whole concept of balance is completely out of place. Yeah. And, and I, I can't remember who said it first or where I heard it first, but this concept of work-life integration I really like because it's, yeah. it's, they're not separate. You're living 
in work. You're still showing up as yourself at work. You can't have this. Sure, you might have kind of a little bit of a mask that, you know, maybe you behave differently with your coworkers than you do at family with family. And I think that's appropriate. But the two impact sure. each other. Um, and you can't you're the same person essentially between the two. So you can't separate the impacts of one on the other. Yeah. But yeah, 100%. Um, kind of want to dig into passion. Um, cause I think a lot of people, you know, this is the purpose and meaning podcast. I think a lot of people feel, you know, they might be working a nine to five and they're, they feel stuck in it, but they have this other thing going on outside that they love. Maybe it's shooting, maybe it's fitness. Um, maybe it's something else when you're thinking about where you spend a lot of your time. Um, you know, you have a lot of these passions integrated into your work life. How did you uh, kind of figure out what you wanted to pursue? How did you decide that, okay, I want to do this wedding photography thing. I'm really passionate about this. Um, was it just reflection? Was it kind of the accretive benefits of doing this? What was it that led you to kind of building those passions and, and, and making sure that you could pursue them in your life? For sure. Um, I think there's a little bit of, when talking about passion, there's a little bit of a nature versus nurture argument. Um, some people are just very relaxed, laid back, enjoy life kind of vibe. Um, some people are very, very intense and, and more passionate. And then, you know, there's all of these different personality tests and stuff like that. And it shows that and there's certain personality types that are very, um, so I, this has always been funny to me and I like this. I kind of wear this as a badge of honor. <laughs> My personality type, if you like look into like the very, very specific detailing of the Enneagram. My personality type is like the most prone to insanity <laughs> and the most prone to like success. So essentially it's like I have... Winston Churchill in my personality type. I have Adolf Hitler in my personality type. I have, you know, it's like uh, Thomas Edison, uh, like all of these like super brilliant, wonderful, successful people and all these horrifically evil, but then technically like successful people in some way or another. And then a bunch of people who like killed themselves and went crazy. It's a lot of those things kind of like people who are very, very uh, passionate kind of tend towards extremes. But anyway, that's a little off topic. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that there. I think passion from an a from a emotional perspective is a little bit of a much more of a nature thing. But I think people are wrong to look to emotion or emotional expression as what passion is. Mm. I'm a huge proponent for simply moving. The idea is you can't steer a parked car. And a lot of people um, will sit here. And actually, I was just listening to uh, Jocko podcast on this, um, not Jocko's podcast, him on someone else's podcast. And what he said is like, a lot of people will sit here. I'm second guessing now whether it's Jocko it might not have been. Anyway, a lot of people will sit here and be like, oh, man, like maybe they're in a nine to five job. They feel trapped. They hate it. Right. This is the basic typical scenario. Like, oh, what can I do? Like, and they sit there and they stay put. They're not moving and they're trying to figure out what they can do that might bring them some sort of passion or life or give them purpose and meaning right and i think you just have to simply find something and start doing it again this is why so often i'm just like let's just start working out because there's no there's no loss there's no downside yeah 
you could start doing something and waste a ton of time. Every second of your life spent working out is not wasted. It's beneficial mentally, spiritually, physically. It'll improve your life, your health, your longevity, everything. So do that. Just go and do that. But let's say you don't want to be a professional bodybuilder or, you know, athlete or whatever, totally understandable, but at least you're now starting to do something. And then maybe you'll move in a, you're, you're starting to move that car. And so now that the car is moving, now you can steer it. Now you can find other things. So I think you have to just to start off and looking to find something you're passionate about. You have to simply go out and do. For me, I was very, very fortunate um, to... And I think everyone has different levels of fortune and, and luck. Uh, not, I don't love the word luck, but I'll just use it. Um, for me, I was very, very fortunate to grow up in a family that loved learning. Both of my parents absolutely loved learning. And I was homeschooled my entire life. So we were exposed, my sisters and I were exposed to a million different things. We were exposed to science. We were exposed to history. We were exposed to music. And we would do like amazing um field trips and we would take like a month off of school and just, you know, purely study history by going to civil war battlegrounds or revolutionary war battlegrounds, or, you know, and we would go to Washington DC and go and do every single museum, read every single sign possible. Wow. Right. So it was just like a lot of exposure. And I then discovered guitar and I started playing piano when I was six and I liked it, but eh, you know, it was like, I, I had a hard time doing it. When I started playing guitar at like 10 or 11 or something like that, I, within a couple of years, was getting in trouble and disciplined and grounded from playing guitar because I did it too much. My parents wow. were like, no, you're neglecting other things. Stop that's doing this. That's not typically this. a problem so, kids have. <laughs> that's not typically a problem, no. And it wasn't my problem. Um, it wasn't my problem with anything else. It was just guitar. And so for me, that was like, I, I found my passion. And I would still say that has been my lifelong passion. And... Then when I went to college, I questioned that. I pursued some other things because I was like, Eric, can I make a career off of this? Coming out of college, to give an example for me, so I was 24. My life kind of reset a bunch. I couldn't pursue music because I had an injury um, that steered me away from that. So I got a job at Starbucks. And it was just like, I got a star job at Starbucks and then in a local university um, like call center. It was a nine to five. And I lasted two months. I just couldn't do it. And I was just like, I'm dying. I'm feeling constrained. I have to quit. I don't care how much I have to work. I just have to do something else. So this is a very good example of like, I just simply started looking for other things. I, that this is when I started like training for the military. It's like, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't, but I have to at least be moving in a direction. Maybe that will get redirected. What happened with that was I then ran into my former best friend who owned a wedding filmmaking company. And he was like, Hey, I know you, you're hardworking. Um, you like to dress nice and wear suits and stuff like that. Would you be interested in coming to film weddings with me? And I was like, well, that's only on the weekends. Pays better than the nine to five that I was doing, which would allow me a lot more time to train for the military and you know, whatever. So yeah, sounds like a good gig. So I was moving in the direction of the military. That was my trajectory. Mm. I picked up this other thing thinking it would enable this more. And then fast forward like six months or something and that turned out to be so good that I was like, you know what? I can't really sacrifice this. Let me go ahead and give this a hundred percent. And I quit Starbucks and everything else. By moving in a direction, it, I then got sidetracked into another direction that brings me here to where I'm at right now. So you can look at my life and be like, oh, I have this amazing opportunity that I get to 
film weddings um, and you know travel the world with my best friend essentially and film weddings 20 something weekends out of the year and the rest of the time i can invest into starting this business and this social media platform that i want to that didn't come from me sitting down and going what am i passionate about what interests do i have how can i do that that literally came out from me just simply moving and going you know i'm going to do this and i'm going to pursue this as hard as i can and then I got distracted and I started going over here as hard as I can. And then now it's come full circle. I'm like, this is where I'm going to stay. Like, this is where I'm going to sit. But I'm 31 and I've been working hard pretty much my entire life. And so it's a point of frustration for me. Like, man, I'm already 31. I feel like I'm really, really, really behind. Um, like, I wish I started doing this like 10 years ago. Hmm. But all that time was spent moving and pursuing different things. I think if someone's out there like looking to what am I what should I be doing? What should I be pursuing? That's the best thing that I can say. It's just like, start moving, start doing things. Um, again, put yourself in uncomfortable situations. And that's a huge thing that a lot of people won't, they'll, they'll be deterred from doing something because they think people have the assumption that if you're passionate about it, you're going to love doing it every second. You know, we've all heard that saying, you know, um, what's the saying? You'll get a job and something that you'll love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's yeah. like, whoever said that wasn't good at anything or never accomplished anything. It's <laughs> like, I love a lot of things that I do and it sucks a lot of times. Like I love filming weddings. I really, really do. And I'm super passionate about it. You can say that, but I'm sorry. At this point in time, I haven't really slept in 26, 27 hours. I don't love that. <laughs> I don't love getting stuck in airports. I don't love, we've done some like 20 hour days, four days in a row, you know, like no one does that. I've pulled so many all nighters, like all of that's miserable, but it's just part of the job. Like I love music. I didn't love practicing scales for three hours a day. I didn't love tendonitis that was like crippling. You know, there's, I love Bill Defonson. I love, you know, creating and talking to people and having opportunities like this to come on this podcast. But man, I have come so close to throwing my laptop or my gun through the window because I'm just like, this just isn't working for me right now. People don't think that. Passion is not like this. Oh, this is going to be fun and easy. So I think a lot of people will deter from something that could really bring them life because it looks hard. Doing hard things is one of the most rewarding things that you can do. When you finish something hard, you're just like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And so I think that's a deterrent for some people because they're looking for passion and they think passion is going to be easy and it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I, I love that. That's not a message that I've heard recently. Um, but it's one of those things that you can't really know until you look back either um, or mm -hmm. have had some experience in your life. You know, you could kind of hear this and understand it, but you don't really know what it means until you've been through it, until you put the hours into something and really understand yeah. like, wow, I like this a lot initially, but this kind of sucks too. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause yeah, you're right. Like anything you're passionate about, you have to discipline yourself. And if you want to get good at it and that discipline's not easy, like you said, like tendonitis, um, playing guitar. I mean, anything that you're doing is going to have an element of extreme difficulty if you're pushing yourself to mastery in it. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's a great message for people to hear.
I think along with that, people look for um, they look for motivation and they want to find something that a lot of people are looking for something that they can get really motivated to do. And this is a trap that all of us fall into. I fall into this every single day of like, oh, I just want to sit around and wait for motivation. And again, taking that as an opportunity, I want to emphasize like all of these things that I'm talking about, these are the sorts of things that I write reminders to myself like every single day. On the days that I sometimes don't write reminders to myself, those days suck. I fail. Those are days where I go like, that was a bad day. I did not do what I should have done. Maybe I did things that I shouldn't have done, whatever it is, but I failed. Um, so these are like the things that I'm like constantly trying to put forth in my mind so that I can apply myself more. And sitting around for motivation is what we all want to do, right? But even if you get super motivated, so like the example that I've given to people before, because I, I had a lot of people in college ask me like, okay, how do you stay motivated to practice? Because um, other times they're like practicing like close to eight hours a day. Like, how do you stay motivated to practice? And I was like, I get motivated for about 30 minutes of those like six to eight hours. The rest is I have to do this. Now I want to do it, but I don't want to do it in the same way that I want to sit down and watch a movie. I want to do it in the way that like, I won't be able to not do it. And so for me, this is the difference between motivation and drive. And it's semantics to an extent. Motivation is that feeling when we watch Rocky and we want to go out and run a race, right? You watch his training sequences. For me, it's Creed. I love Creed 2. It's one of my favorite movies. Love that. Um, and I watch, I'll watch that movie and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go work out. I'm going to hit some PRs. That's motivation. Drive is when you wake up and you're like, I don't feel like any of that. I don't want to do any of that. But the end goal is so important to me. I'm so obsessed by it. I'm going to do it, whether my emotions, whether my body, whether whatever it is, is telling me not to do it, I'm going to do it anyway. So I think d differentiating between motivation and drive is really important. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And I think that there's something in that drive too. There's a faith that the hard work is going to pay off. Maybe not exactly in the way that you expect it to, but yeah. there's just value in pursuing something with all of your effort. Um, you become a different person, kind of, as we were mentioning before, you become that disciplined person that other people can rely on. Um, yeah. And that discipline in one area of your life can, if you allow it, transfer over into other areas too. So none of it is wasted effort, even if the end result you had in mind initially is not the end result that kind of manifests itself, right? Maybe you had, after going through college, um, the idea that you're going to go play guitar professionally. But, and, and I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, even though you didn't do that, those years of practice and that passion that you had, that's not wasted. 100%. Yeah. No, you're, you're dead on with all of that. And that, that is what I wanted to do. But you're dead on with that because it's very tempting to go like, oh, nothing came of that hard work. It's like, no, no, no. If discipline came of it, if learning came of came from it, if simply like getting yourself to do something, even if you're not going to do it again, came of it, like that's a huge benefit. Uh, referring back to um, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, it's actually the book's popping at my laptop right now, so I keep thinking of it every time I look down. 
um, he has this concept of the cookie jar. He's like, whenever you're doing something hard, like you need to have these cookies and this he gives you a challenge. He's like, write down all of these things that you've done in your life that were hard. Maybe it's something you failed at multiple times and then you've kept on going and then you finally succeeded at it. Maybe it was a test you had to take like three times before you got it. Whatever it is, it can be the tiniest thing. Write them down and then put them in your mental cookie jar. And so every time you're doing something hard and you're getting to a place where you're like, I can't do this, you know what, I'm failing. It could, this could be starting a business, right? This could be the number of times my wife was actually laughing out at me earlier this week. She's like, I don't really take you seriously anymore when you're like, I can't do this, I'm gonna quit. The number of times already in the last year that have been like, I'm gonna quit, I can't do this. And she's like, yeah, I just brush it off. And I don't mean it, like I'll say it and I feel that, but I also know I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and I'm gonna just do it whether I feel like it or not. But like, uh, you're doing something hard and you're like, how can I do this? He's like, dig into that mental cookie jar, pull out some of those past accomplishments, those past successes, those past hard things that you've done and lean into that. Remind yourself that you've done that again. So you're absolutely right. Even if it's not something you directly use, you can use that to build on it. And uh, I love to take that principle in with um, a principle that Alex Ramosi talks about. What he says is, I want to try to get the quote right. We don't have, I can't remember the negative of it, but he's essentially saying we don't have confidence in this way. He's like, we have confidence by having a stack of undeniable proof that we are who we say we are. And so what he says is you have to build that proof. And he's like, okay, well, what if I don't have any proof? What if I've never done anything that's good or worthy? He's like, really? Nothing. You're alive. You've at some point in life done something. Did you, have you made your bed one day in your life, your entire life? Have you made your bed once? Great. Cool. Do it again. Do that for a week. Look back, go, Hey, I made my bed every single day for a week. I haven't done that in years since I was a kid. My mom made me. It's like, bam, victory. You accomplished something, write it down. Now you have a victory that you can build on. Now go on to something a little bit bigger and keep building that, keep building that and keep building that. So all of those hard things that you've done, or maybe not even super hard things, but all of those things that you've accomplished, all of those things you've done, you then start to build up, blending Hermosi and David Goggins together, take all of those things, that stack of undeniable proof, throw them in your cookie jar, and now you're getting like a lot of groundwork to say, hey, when I go and I tackle this thing, for me specifically, music, I don't really use it that much anymore, but whenever I go and I'm tackling like, you know, trying to grow on social media, which is very difficult with the entire algorithm being against gun content. I'm like, well, I mean, I put in 10,000 hours on music. I disciplined myself to do that. I got pretty dang good. I bet I can do the same thing with shooting. I bet I can do the same thing with video. I bet I can do the same thing with fitness. Like I've done it before. I'm sure I can do it again if it's in a different field. Yeah, I'm going to kind of try and blend uh, JP, Jordan Peterson in with Hormozzi and Goggins here yeah. for a second. So. You know, people focus on that end result and they think that the cookies, in a sense, can only be that end result. But it's the raw material that allows for the result that's really the cookie. Yeah. And Jordan Peterson, in, um, I can't remember which one of his books, but he talks about alchemy and how alchemy led to this idea of refining the person, the individual, into gold. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's that raw material that you're trying to build in a way so that you can tackle anything that comes at you um, yeah. throughout life. 
and you're voluntarily subjecting yourself to these activities that force you to be disciplined so that you can refine yourself over time. Um, and so someone might hear making your bed, like that doesn't matter. Like who cares if my bed's made? Well, it's not really about making the bed. And this is Jordan Peterson's point. Yeah. It's about the steps that it takes to do that, the self-discipline that it takes to do it. No one really wants to. Um, so it's sort of that smallest, that smallest item that you can latch onto and anybody can do to begin yeah. this kind of journey towards discipline and, and development. And I think the making the bed thing is particularly helpful because it seems insignificant. And choosing to do something when you can come up with reasons not to do it, which there's a million reasons not to make your bed. Sometimes it's hard to come up with good reasons to make your bed, right? I mean, what do you get out of it? My wife and I almost never make our bed, to be honest. Actually, I never make our bed. <laughs> she, <laughs> often, she often makes that. That's a, if she listens to this, she'll be like, wait, you never make the bed. And when you do, it's because I force you to come and help me do it. Because <laughs> I don't care. For me, like, there's other things that I need to discipline myself in. It doesn't actually benefit me that much. But like, that's one of the things about it that's sometimes really good is a lot of times doing things that we don't see the value just simply for the pure act of discipline are the most beneficial. And that's why I think like the, the making your bed. And I think that came from, yeah, that comes from Peterson. Uh, one of his rules, uh, make sure that your own life is in your bedroom is in order. Or your house is in order or whatever it is before you go and change the world. Yeah. Um, and then there was a super, super popular, I think it kind of went viral speech like graduation commencement ceremony or something like that that a yeah, navy seal Victoria. captain gave yeah yeah yep and i think that was one of his points like make your bed in the morning yeah yeah and then and then uh you know he got flack for it jordan peterson got flack for it i think one time his room looked like mine it was a total mess you know and uh, <laughs> but that's kind of not the point i i think right what what you're saying so um, yeah. I want to touch on real quick, sort of shifting gears, your newsletter. Uh, this is kind of an extension of your Instagram yeah. you, you started. Uh, do you want to just talk a little bit about that, kind of share what your, your goal with that is? Sure. Um, so I started the newsletter kind of as uh, the idea came from, I wanted to be able to go into a little bit greater depth on some of the topics. So I'm making like a lot of, you know, 10 second, 15 second at most reels. Um, and occasionally I do like a 30 second one where I'm specifically talking through an, a principle that I had a conversation with someone usually related to, you know, again, masculinity, guns, that sort of thing. And I was just like, man, I need a platform where I can like talk about these things a little bit more and get into depth, even if it's just for myself, the, the personal benefit of having to think through them and flesh it out. And then I was like, well, if I do a newsletter, then I can basically take that and use that to fuel all of my content. So for me, it was just like an organizational thing as well. It really has benefited there. But the idea was then uh, twofold um, outside of all of that. One, I would then be able to train my own articulation and mental thought by writing. I love writing. It's always been probably my number one academic strength outside of like music was writing. And so but I haven't really used it in forever since college. Honestly, I haven't written anything since um, since college, probably. Who has, right? So it was like a really good way for me to sit down and discipline myself and actually like put thoughts and take uh, put thoughts down 
and take time to develop them and think through them well. So that then when I'm communicating in videos and YouTube and Instagram, I'm doing my viewers justice. So there's the personal benefit of trying to train my own articulation. And then there's the other benefit of being able to, whoever's subscribing, they then get to read these topics as I'm thinking through them a little bit more deeply. And what I want to do with that is like have, uh, I'll regularly ask questions and polls on my Instagram stories and kind of like get what people's thoughts are and see what people are really interested in. Some topics people are just like, yeah, whatever. They don't really seem to care about other topics. Uh, my followers are really like engage with and be like, okay, well, cool. Let, let me take that. Let me take the answers that they gave me and kind of think through this. Um, the added benefit to doing a newsletter is it is technically your property, right? So like anything that I put up on social media or anyone puts up on social media can get taken down. Um, Meta can take it down. Google can take it down. Whoever it is in, in the gun industry, this is something that we've seen as a problem. A newsletter that you're sending out through your email, unless you're at the extreme of, you know, Andrew Tate having literally Gmail blocking him. Um, to my knowledge, he's the only person, like even Trump, who got banned from Twitter, didn't have Gmail cutting him off. I don't know. Maybe it did. But um, that's pretty radical. For most people, your email is your property that you are able to send out to people. And so it's good to have build that like intellectual um, base. The idea for the newsletter itself, though, is so I called it the old fashioned newsletter. I had a bunch of different concepts that I was developing. Uh, different ideas and thoughts. I essentially wanted to take, I wanted to be like, how can I talk about like guns and all that sort of stuff and also combine it with just a lot of my passions that are very opposed to the typical gun vibe and the gun world and like gentlemanliness even. And so at some point I'm going to do a newsletter. I'm planning on doing a newsletter talking about like fashion and wearing a suit and stuff like that because to me i think those are important things i'm sure tons of guys out there disagree but to me i'm like I, I think guys should know how to in my opinion you should know how to tie a bow tie and know how to shoot a gun but not a lot of people who would agree with that for sure <laughs> <laughs> uh it's not that hard it's not that hard but i do still struggle with it anyway so the by calling it the old-fashioned newsletter uh that just gave me a lot of room to kind of talk about anything that fell under the umbrella of these are traditional principles. Mm. But then that's also very, very specific in a sense, because everything that we're discussing now today, these aren't new concepts. What we started off discussing was like, Hey, why is there a cultural attack on masculinity? Postmodernism is just that it's very, very modern. It came out of the enlightened period. 19, I don't know, 1910s, I'm not a story, 1910s, 1920s is when it really started to blow up, probably. So like, this is very, very recent. A lot of the ideologies that are floating around in the world are extremely recent. Um, traditionalism, though, which I think is a very negative word in the sense people are going to push back against that. Uh, people are going to push back against the concept of old fashioned. Um, but still, those things are like, Here's where we're getting into truth, eternal truth, absolute truth, the things that we should be basing our lives on. And when we're specifically talking about masculinity and men, principles of ownership, discipline, these things are 100% timeless. And so in the old fashioned newsletter, I want to use that to talk about 
all of those different things. And to me, that's kind of the best way to frame up how do we how do we fit in? And this is a question that I've wrestled with. We've now talked about guns a little bit, honestly, not that much, but we've talked about guns. We've talked about fitness, and um, and then we've brought in you know Jordan Peterson into the conversation, who's a psychologist. It's like how do these three worlds combine? And that's something that I've thought about a lot. Like there's not a lot of people who are combining those three worlds, but they 100% all fit together. Well, how? Right? promoting a traditional old fashioned view of what it means to be a man. Yeah. And really, really just ties all those things together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a label, right? I mean, it's all semantics, what people sure. call that. Um, most ideas in a sense are all repackaged. Um, you know, there's the, the thought that there's nothing new under the sun. Um, it's all been tried or done or said at some point in time, the ideologies have been defeated. They've, They've resurfaced with new technology, new revolutions in certain countries, um, specific leaders who have been highly influential. Um, but there has been this through line. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at is this traditional through line that has survived all of these you know, empires essentially rising and falling, um, kind of on the backs of trendy movements or trendy ideologies. And this, this traditional view of, of what it means to be a man has been something that's ultimately had success in all of these time periods at some point in time. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to exclude women too. I know absolutely. we're mostly addressing like men and everything, but the traditional view of like what it means to be a woman, which, um, and this is a very offensive notion, but that is responsive to masculinity. Um, I think C.S. Lewis said it's extremely well, um, which you, you mentioned being a philosophy minor, was it? Major, yeah. Major, major. Uh, did you study C.S. Lewis much? I, yeah, uh, I, I read a little bit of C.S. Lewis on my own time, but there's no uh, university out there now who's going to let you read C.S. Lewis probably. So, that's, <laughs> Or that's at least let true. you put it in a course curriculum. Yeah, for sure. Um, I went to a Christian school, so oh, very <laughs> it was like the majority of the philosophy curriculum that I did. That's awesome. Um, he's one of my favorite, his top three favorite authors for me. But um, anyway... Sorry, distraction. Uh, one of the things that he talked about was, shoot, bring me back. What were we talking about? Um, so masculinity and then kind of traditional uh, femininity and being a response. So like, yeah, what he says is like all God is the supreme example of masculinity to the point that all of creation is feminine in comparison to him. And then we basically just have tears coming down from that. But God existed first, and Trinity, whatever. God existed first, and then creation is feminine in subjection to him and in comparison to that masculinity. Hmm. Men and women reflect that, and that's how like men and women are both created in the image of God, even though they're two different um, genders. Men and women reflect that both, <clears throat> combined together reflect that, but masculinity in man and is created first then reflects onto femininity so femininity can't be truly women can't be truly women and feminine without um the masculine without it being reflecting off of masculinity mm -hmm. 
Um, trying to trying to figure out how to say that in the least offensive way, but without responding no, to it. That's the word that I was looking for. Without, it, yeah, it is. It's going to be people are going to be pissed off by that. There's no other way to say it. People are going to be pissed off by that. But like, you can't. Have, women can't be women if they're not responding to men who are actually men, and that's the problem, right? This is why whole different topic. But this is where like you know the whole feminist movement came from, is responding to men who were not properly being men like right like men who are abusing that power which obviously there's always power corrupts right so like there's always going to be people who are abusing that power not using it correctly and so then women are like well i can't respond to this i mean this isn't exactly how the thought process went down but like this is my overview of it and i'm like well i can't respond to this correctly i can't be reflecting their masculinity uh, as i should um, because men are lucky, right? Like we're feminine in a sense in relation to God as the supreme example of masculinity. But that example is perfect and unchanging. And so for us, we're really, really lucky in a sense, but then it's also a really, really impossible standard to live up to that we are rooted in the nature of God. And then women are, and I'm not getting theological with this. This is theologically not accurate, but then women by being feminine are responding to the men that are in their lives, whether it be their husbands or fathers, you know, brothers, whatever it is, the people around them. Um, and if those men are corrupt and no good, then that makes it really, really, really hard for women to do their job, right? And for women to be who they should be. Yeah. It, I hadn't heard it phrased that way. It's a really interesting thought. I'll have to look into Do you know what book C.S. Lewis mentioned that in? Um, I, my guess would be mere Christianity. Okay. I think he's talked about it in several. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I can't yeah. remember which one. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's interesting. I've often heard that the Holy spirit is kind of the feminine in the Trinity in a sense. I don't know how accurate that is. Um, but I don't think I've heard that before. Yeah, it's 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 interesting when you start getting into these these gender and I'm not qualified to speak on this. I don't feel <laughs> super qualified to speak on this, but um, same. I don't want to. Yeah, it, it, but it's an interesting say thing. anything heretical here. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's like it's such a sensitive topic nowadays. Even non-Christians, yeah. especially, are going to respond to this in 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 a certain way. And I think it's important to recognize too that like some of what we're talking about. Yeah, we have pretty solid opinions and thoughts, but they're also evolving as well. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're never stagnant in our thought processes. Let me give a little bit of an anecdote as sure. an example. Again, uh, going to my wife and like her, her journey. Um, two things have happened as we've grown together and matured. We've been together for dating now for five years and our relationship was very messy when we first started like we broke up a million times oh wow um extremely emotional just like both of us were not in a good place in our uh in our lives at all and we kind of like definitely like fed off of that emotionalism and each other and that drama right and as we've grown together what she has observed is that the more solid and solidified in my masculinity, and I say that not as opposed to being like not tough or whatever it is, but just as a man, the easier it is for her to relate to me 
and be a woman. And so she was like, I always, what she has said is she always struggled to be a woman in a sense and, and know what that meant. And so she like went through like a feminist phase and we were, when we first started dating, she was very much like, oh yeah, I'm a feminist and whatever. Um, who let me, you know, pick up the check when we went out to eat. So I was always like, really, are you? Quality? you pick it up 50% of the time. That's, that's a fun one to really, really get at people for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've never had a girl pick up the check. So, and I've no. gone on dates with a few feminists. So I'm like, come on guys. That's funny. Uh, but anyway, no, that's, um, so it's just like, she, she was like, until you really truly started to solidify as a man, I didn't even understand what it meant to be a woman. But then now that's so for her, she's like, it's so easy for her to see, but she's like, Oh, this is my role. This is what it looks like. And it's not what she expected it when she was in her feminist you know, worldview and looking like, Oh, I have to submit to this guy or whatever that is. It's not what at all. Like we're, we're, we do everything together. Anyone who knows it's like, we are very much a team. We're partners 100%. She manages a ton of things that are normally considered to be things that guys are supposed to do. Like she manages all of our finances. She's a data analyst. She's a business data analyst. So I'm like, why in the world would I manage our money when you literally do this professionally? Um, I'm a musician. I have no clue how to, you know, I can't pass count past four. So like, don't ask me to count your money. So like we've completely divided up our tasks and everything else like that. It's not like, oh, I mow the lawn and she does the dishes. Although she prefers that I mow the lawn and um, she does the dishes, but it's not because we have to, right? It's just like sure. all of that to say, it, it's not at all where she's like, oh, I'm now having to submit to everything this guy says. Like, I can't remember the last time that we didn't discuss something and come to the same conclusion. We talk through everything, we're partners, but she's still responding. And I don't really know how to say that. I don't want to go into a lecture on like femininity or anything, but my, my whole point with that is for like, for women who are listening, like, what does this mean for me? The importance and for men who are potentially single still, like the importance of men being solid so that women can then reflect off of that. Like they, speaking from my wife's perspective, won't understand what being a woman truly looks like until they have solid male roles around them. Yeah. That doesn't mean if you're a single woman that you can't, you know, without a father figure that you can't have some sort of bearing. But for her, for my wife, it, I wasn't the first person. I would say kind of seeing and listening to Jordan Peterson in a sense gave her that example of like, oh, okay. That's masculinity, right? This is, and this isn't a person who's physically tough or strong or anything else like that. It was like, here's a man who is formidable. Here's a man who is strong. Here's a man who is dangerous in his own way. Um, and I think that example is part of what helped her to understand what that role of then being a feminine woman would look like. Well, and I think at the heart of it is that men and women are meant to be a team. You know, they're complementary yeah. and inherently so from like even just the base biological perspective. Mm -hmm. Men have very specific differences when it comes to personality types. Um, yeah. Like women are usually much more open, much more agreeable. Men are generally more um, uh, either neurotic or conscientious than women. And so how do you find a partner who exhibits those parts of you that you might be lacking, right? So if you're not yeah. confident in your masculinity and the parts that make you different from her, that makes that teamwork really tough. 
um, like the puzzle pieces just don't match in that case. So right. you've got to kind of like round your edges. You've got to, you know, you've got to make the cuts in who you are and, and, and die to yourself through discipline to understand what is it that makes you unique and different. And then how can you allow your partner to then be who they are fully um, in that, in that context? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, I think people hearing this might hear masculine, feminine, and, and even you said this, right? You know, it's not a traditional gender role thing where you handle all the finances and she just kind of like cooks and cleans and she's got a full-time job. Um, that's not something, you know, we're necessarily advocating for in terms of you have to stay home. You have to raise the kids. It's understanding what makes you different and unique and allowing those things to flourish by being secure in who you are. Yeah. And the way that that expresses for everyone is going to be different. Like for us, it's, it's very different and, um, not revealing too much, but like she makes close to twice what I do. Wow. So she's the primary, she's like our primary provider in a sense yeah and what that allows because of that because she has a job she can work from home so she can be a mom um and we can kind of like manage that together and everything else and and traditional gender roles are just so different nowadays right because like her and i both work from home 100 of the time except for when i'm traveling which means like when she has meetings i take the baby and i watch the baby when i have things that i have to do which is a lot of things um, have discovered editing is very difficult with a baby screaming in the background and we're blessed. We have the easiest baby in the world. She's wonderful. She's super, super sweet, but she loves attention. And if you're not looking at her and if you're looking at her and smiling at her, she's happy. But if you look away, she'll literally just like shriek. And then you look over and be like, what? And then she'll smile. Like, hey, that's, it to me. <laughs> that's adorable, but it's also like, I can't work this way. But anyway, so like yeah. we can trade, you know, we can like, I'll be like, Hey, I have a lot to do today. And she's like, okay, I'll make meals. Some days you're like, babe, I have so much to do today. I'm like, okay, I'll go make breakfast, right? So it's like we can completely trade off roles. But because uh, one of the ways that these not traditional gender roles, but this concept of like masculinity and then like femininity reflecting on it, she 100% has settled into this place where she's like, I want a job that's, and she wants to be working. It's not, you know, Um, It's not just because she, like, even if I did make enough money for both of us, which I don't, but even if I did, she would be like, no, I love having my career that I'm developing. I'm passionate about it. I love pursuing this. She's a very hardworking, driven person as well, which is, I I think it's hard to, if you're a hardworking and driven man, finding a woman who's not hardworking and driven is just a bad idea. Like, she will never understand and comprehend what you're doing, sidebar. But, so my wife loves having that position. She loves having that job. But she loves having one that's safe. That's like, it is a nine to five. It's from home, but it's a salary. It's certain. When she's looked for other jobs, she's able to get, you know, applications out and have calls immediately. Like it's a very, very useful field. It's extremely reliable and she doesn't want risk. When it comes, she likes taking risks and stuff like that. But when it comes to money, my wife does not want risk. Sure. She wants it to be certain and she wants it to be easy. She doesn't want to th- have to think about whether or not her job is going to be coming and going. She views that as by her having that and her pursuing that, it gives me the opportunity to be doing what I'm doing and be taking the risk and growing this thing that 
my goals are huge, right? Like I want to take this super, super far. And I really, really do not in that some sort of like selfishly ambitious thing, but like, because I want these principles and these truths to be out there and accessible to as many people as possible. By her in an untraditional sense, you know, having a job and not just being a, a stay at home mom, she's actually serving me and enabling me to then fully pursue what I believe I'm called to pursue as a man. And so the traditional gender roles are kind of like all mixed in together, right? Like they're completely, that, that's a mess that's just out the window. And to me, a lot of those things just don't simply apply anymore. But she views it completely as she's aiding me. And this is the concept of, not to get too deep into this, but this is the concept of the biblical help me. God gave Adam tasks. He said, do these things. And then he created Eve to help him do the things that God gave him to do. And I think a lot of women push against this because they're like, oh, but I have something that I want to do. And I'm not going to speak to that. I'm not an authority on that. But in the case of my wife, it was very much like she has now viewed, especially becoming a mom recently, like this is my duty. And the number one thing that consumes her is being a mom and then her career's number one role is helping me pursue my task, not my career, but my task and my role as a man. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, and testament to all the work that you guys have done and just communicating and being open with each other about why are we doing what we're doing? How can we be aligned on these things? Um, that's really beautiful. Yeah, what it's been, it's been absolutely incredible to observe myself as like, you know, watching how in the world did these things come about? Because when you, if you would have looked at our dating relationship and I know we're off topic a bit, but if you had looked at our dating relationship like five years ago or six years ago, whatever it was, um, it was just very, very messy. And I was like, what are we doing? Um, and then but a lot can change in five years. And then you fast forward five years and it's just like, oh, wow. And any of the stresses of like, oh, how is this going to work out? How's that going to work out? And then now, like, it's just like, I'm the luckiest man in the world because I've had a wife who's just like, so I, I haven't had to push on any of these things. Um, and it's just like, she just settled into these things. Yes, we've worked extremely hard at our relationship to establish mutual respect, communication, et cetera. But, um, and it's a lot of work for sure. But the way that those things have just settled out to me, like observing it, uh, you know, Sometimes from the sidelines, you're just stopping and thinking about it, looking back and be like, man, I can't believe that all worked out and everything. It's, it's absolutely amazing. What, uh, you know, if you're talking to a couple really struggling with something like this, um, or maybe in the position you were in five years ago, what would you tell them was kind of the key to your success as a couple? And I know you're still working it out, but given that you are where you are compared to where you were, what really enabled that? Um... Yeah, I don't even know that I can really give a solid answer because uh, one, I'm completely not willing to start giving yeah, relationship for advice. Sure, but sure. Um, for me, I mean, specifically like to the relationship, obviously everyone always says communication is key and that's absolutely true. But for me, I'll say the only reason that we worked and ended up together 
is because both of us were dedicated and this is one of the things that attracted us to each other from the beginning both of us were dedicated to working on ourselves even when we were messes we were still constantly trying to better ourselves and i don't think there's for us i don't think there was anything more important and that's the number one thing that we've even carried into our marriage is like the level of confidence that both of us have if she does something that bothers me or our, i do something that bothers her we know we can talk to the other person about it and if it's legitimate that all i don't have to nag her i don't have to put it forth i don't have to remind her i don't have to berate her over this issue i don't have to argue it to her i just have to point out be like hey i observed this a few times and obviously like this takes understanding on my part to not be like oh hey this bothered me stop doing it so no i'm not saying it bothers me i'm sure. saying like oh i thought through this for weeks sometimes months before actually saying something about it but like i know with full confidence if there's something that comes up nine times out of ten i don't even have to say anything I know that she'll recognize it and she'll fix it because she, and she'll change it. She'll work on it, not fix it. That's a little bit too black and white, but she'll work on it because she's so committed to bettering herself and growing as a person and learning as a person. To me, that's the number one thing that made us fit together. And even when we were like politically not aligned at all, why we were still able to work because we knew that there was the mutual commitment to bettering ourselves. Mm. That means like, you're not going to worry like, oh man, this guy's just a bum. He's just sitting around. Like he's never going to change. Like, that's probably the number one frustration that you hear from people who have been married sometimes for years. Like, oh, he just won't change or she won't change. Or like, it's the same person, right? Yeah. Um, I think that commitment to bettering yourself is the biggest thing. Cause that also then like tying this all around, that gives you what? That gives you personal responsibility. You're focusing on the things that you can change. Docker willing, extreme ownership, own what you can. We don't have control over much in our lives. But when we actually start to take control over the things that we do have control, we realize that we can actually do a lot more than we think. And we blame circumstances, we blame spouses, we blame partners. There's a lot of times it's like, no, we can't actually own that. And when you're dating, that may look like owning it means recognizing that you shouldn't be together. And if that's the case, then you shouldn't be together. I mean, Neither of us were our uh, first boyfriend and girlfriend, so sure, it's a few a uh, few failures before getting to each other. But yeah, I would end it here because that was such a good kind of wrap up of the conversation. But I do have one more question. Yeah, um, for sure. you did. You mentioned that you have really big goals for this page and your newsletter and, and what you're doing on Instagram right now. Um, what are those goals? Where do you see this going in the next three, four, five years? I don't want to say where I see it going because I don't want to presume. Um, I, I'm a very, very ambitious person uh, and I just, I, I never dream small to me. That's kind of pointless, but, um, I would, my goal, my number one goal with Peter Ildefonza, and I refer to that in the third person, Ildefonza isn't actually my last name. That's my, um, I didn't want to use my direct last name, although it'd probably be pretty easy to go and find it if you wanted to. Mm. Um, anyone can if they want to, but I just didn't want it to be like that black and white connected to uh, my main name because the gun topic is fairly, not fairly, it's very heated. It's a heated debate. I wanted a little bit of separation. 
Um, the main industry that I work in weddings is extremely liberal. And then I'm also traveling a lot, which means my wife is at home alone. And so like personal information, I'm very, very protective of. Um, Ildefons is my grandmother on my mom's side, middle name. And it actually is, um, uh, ancient Germanic, I want to say, and it literally means battle ready is the direct translation. Oh, very. So that's why I chose that. I wanted to like honor family with that and honor my heritage. And then I was like, oh, that, that means battle ready. That's perfect. That's awesome. But anyway, so where I'm going, sidebar, where I'm going with, um, Peter Defonso, what I want with that is the main goal is to make guns mainstream. Going back to that quote of hard men create good times, good men, good times create weak men. I think we're still in good times. And I think there are a lot of weak men. And if we don't correct and we don't start calling men to be strong, society will crumble. America is very, very close. We've been around for just long enough that our government is due to fall apart. There is no other place on earth where freedom exists. We, I believe, were like the last battleground. Now, I don't believe America falls end times necessarily. There's a lot of other things that are indicating end times, but I want to keep fighting as long as we can. And um, I think we have to call men to being strong. My, one of my taglines is make guns mainstream. And then I always qualify that and say, not the guns themselves, but the actual lifestyle of owning a gun for protective and strength purposes. I think we need to call men to be strong and dangerous. I think we need them to be physically capable and mentally capable. You can't be physically strong without knowing how to shoot a gun. And what I mean by that is, if you put me in a ring with the rock and he has all of his armaments, actually let's arm both of us. I'm not the best shooter in the world. Confident I cannot shoot him. As long as you give me enough distance between us, <laughs> I'm going to win every single time. Yeah. Better example, Lucas Bakkins. Let's throw Lucas Bakkins and Arnold Schwarzenegger into Who's going to win every single time? You know, uh, Lucas, this D tiny little kid. And... Hero creds. <laughs> what? Despite the action hero credits uh, of Schwarzenegger. <laughs> For sure. Exactly. Uh, so it's just like all of that doesn't really matter if you don't know how to shoot a gun nowadays. That's the standard. That's the sword. Air 15. A lot of people say Air 15 is the sword of our day. Knowing how to shoot and being armed along with all of the Second Amendment purposes and deterring a tyrannical government. We're not going into that now. Um, I think we have to call men to be strong. We have to call men to be dangerous. And this means you have to own your personal safety. That's not the government's role. At the beginning, I mentioned the government's role in creation. The government's role is to basically keep relationships between men good. Personal protection, not the government's role at all. Coming to your aid if someone breaks into your house, not the government's role at all. You look biblically and what that looked like. When someone got kidnapped, what did Abraham do? You know, when Lot got kidnapped, he took his army, his military, he led them into battle, one, seemingly easily, without hesitation. This guy who was at this point, you know, a fairly old guy. And just like, oh, yeah, let's go fight. Let's go bring him back. Let's go kill all those guys. That's, I'm not saying any sort of like vigilante justice or anything. We do have a good government system in place for that, justice system in place for that. But that personal protection, protection of our families, protection of our communities, that is our role, first and foremost. We need to call men to take ownership of that. We need to call men to take ownership of their own safety, of their own lives. When we have all of that, then we start to preserve freedom in our country as well, right? Because now, well, 
We don't need the government. People are relying on the government so much that anything that the government does, they can get away with because if they just deny certain things over here or over here, they have the power to do that. When the government's reliable, it's like, oh, shoot, what do I hold over their heads? You know? Um, so I think it all comes down to the whole concept of like making guns mainstream is, uh, and I'm getting off topic, but to answer your question, I want to see, here's my thought. I want to see owning a gun and training with it to be as common as having a gym membership. We can't make everyone go to the gym and work out, but something like 85% of our population in the country in America has a gym membership. It's normal. It's seen as a standard part of life. Everyone agrees to an extent that it's a good thing to do. It's cool. It's in, it's fashionable to have a gym membership. Gymshark, you know, Rogue Fitness, all of these different companies, they're fashion clothing, right? Like if leisure is fashion, Lululemon, let's throw all of those brains out there, brands out there. I want owning a gun to defend your own life and to protect your family and then ultimately to resist a tyrannical government, I want that to be on that same level. The problem that I saw when I started Il Defanza is that there's too much gatekeeping into the gun community mm. and there's too much appealing to only people who are already interested in guns. And this is the problem with fitness. This is exactly the problem with gyms. So many people are like, I'm not going to go to the gym. All these intimidating gym bros, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's there. Gold's gym, like traditional classic gyms. Ones that I love. Like, I love that old vibe. There's a lot of people who aren't going to go there. My wife doesn't want to go to those gyms. My mom's never going to step foot into one of those gyms. Well, how, how do we open the culture so that all of those people can be included? And with Ildefonso, where I want this to go is I want this to grow enough that I can start reaching a lot of those people who would otherwise not necessarily go like, oh, owning a gun isn't about being cool and tough and strong and wanting to shoot. Owning a gun is about me taking ownership of my life, about me being strong, about me being a man. And so that's why masculinity is so important because it drives the whole concept of gun ownership for me. And I want to be able to reach those people. I think first and foremost, I would say, I want to be a gun missionary. I want to encourage people to towards masculinity, towards being strong men and calling young men to do that. And one of those steps is owning guns, training with guns and pursuing that discipline. Um, so I want to see this grow as big as possible on social media. There's a bunch of other ideas that I have for it, um, but I'm not going to share it because I don't want to say I'm going to do this before I even have an opportunity to do them. Sure. But I, I want that to grow because I want to reach as many people as I possibly can. And I think some of the people that I'm appealing to now aren't necessarily going to be appealed to by most of potentially any of the personalities that are already existing within the gun community. And I don't see many people bringing in the conversations that we just brought in, you know, talking about Jordan Peterson and fitness and then and bringing this into like gun ownership. I don't see those conversations happening where we're tying these things together. Maybe like John Lovell, Warrior Poet Society. I see that a little bit. Um, but it's just, I don't know. Guys tend to like geek out on the gear and stuff for me too much. And I'm like, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about this or that. I just simply want to why do we need to own guns? Why is that necessary for the perseverance of our society? 
That's awesome. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, without giving away too much, I think that's great just to focus on the mission and the vision. And, you know, you see the, the, the biggest companies in the world and a lot of those, especially tech companies, and I know that there's all sorts of political issues with them, and, and I understand that, but one of the things that have made those companies so successful in organizations, even TRX Arms, is just the mission and the vision. And pursuing that, not focusing necessarily on, okay, I have to do this thing in order to do the mission. It's what do I need to do to achieve the mission and the vision yeah. of this organization? Um, so that's, exactly. that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. But to me, like success obviously would be, well, I don't want to say success would be this, but the more people reached, right? Like yeah. the more successful you are. So maybe I'm successful already. I, I'm not, <laughs> but maybe like, let's say I was like, oh, I've already reached, I'm getting close to 1500 people on Instagram. Um, maybe that's, maybe that's good enough. I don't know. It's definitely not, I'm not stopping, but there's no, there's no number on that. It's not like, oh, I want to hit this certain number. I want, um, I, I do have those numbers in my, in a sense, but it's that whole process. Like you said, it's that whole journey. This is, this is how fitness works, right? It's like, sure. Right now I'm chasing a 500 pound deadlift. I'm a ways off, but like, that's my number one goal. Um, and it's like, but the journey, the act of engaging it is what it's all actually about. And so as long as I'm growing and improving and then reaching more people and reaching more people and reaching more people, winning is staying in the game. Winning is continuing to do this. Winning is not giving up and being deterred. Winning is not quitting. Um, I, I want to be successful enough that 10 years down the road, I'm still in the conversation related to guns and stuff like that. Now, what would that look like? Well, I know I've heard like, uh, Lucas talk about like how many, and, uh, Mike Jones, Grantham talk about like how many people, you know, will pop up and then die off and then pop up and die off and then pop up and die off. So I don't know how big you have to get to stay around for a long time. All I know is. I want to be still, I want to be relevant and I want to be in the conversation and I want to be a, a leader in this line of thinking 10 years down the road. And I don't want that to, to die off. It's awesome. Uh, two last questions. What's right. your, what's your EDC and what's your international EDC? Um, my EDC is a, uh, SIG P365 XL with a Wilson combat grit module put on there. Um, the SIG Romeo Zero Red Dot, which I don't necessarily love, but I got it for free um, through a USCCA membership, and so I took it. And it does fit on well, and honestly, it's worked great for me. Nice. And then a TLR 7 Sub light on it with a Axis Elite uh, Tier 1 Concealed Holster, Appendix Carrier Holster. Um, I love the SIG, but the trigger sucks, and it's a small okay. gun. It's hard to shoot. So I'm hoping to switch that out. Um, but to me, I want to get really, really good with it before I then switch it out. So I can't say like, oh, it's the gun that improved me. I would be like, no, I can shoot on anything. To me, I, people ask me that. And I'm always like, carry what gun works for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my EDC. And then um, when I'm international, I usually keep a, a little Smith & Wesson, not gun, <laughs> Smith & Wesson uh, tactical pen that I carry with me. And that's it. I mean, it depends on the country. Italy, like I'm in Italy this week, the next two weeks, last week I was in France. 
Um, I, I didn't look at the knife rules in France. I know the knife rules in Italy are like people get arrested for having like a Swiss Army knife on them sometimes. Wow. Um, so, so that's pretty intense. I have never been turned away from a country for that tactical pen, which I carry like through airport security and everything. Um, so I've taken that into Italy, France, England, Egypt, India, Mexico, or I don't know, a few others. And Egypt, I was surprised by, I very much, uh, um, United Emirates, United Arab Emirates, uh, going to, uh, Dubai, I expected it to be confiscated there. And it's a very low risk thing for me, right? It's like, you know, $30. So I'm like, if it gets confiscated, it gets confiscated. I'll just like, yeah, take it. They're not going to arrest me for having pen. Yeah. Um, they might be like, ah, oh, you can't have this. And I'm like, all right, I don't have it, but that's my international EDC. And then to that point, answering it really quickly and giving you more than you asked for. Um, what I always tell people, if you're going to a place where it's like, you can't carry a gun, uh, which for me, and I did address this in a newsletter topic recently. Um, for me, this is like New York city. I'm not willing to carry in New York city. The consequences are too high. If I get caught, I'm in jail for weeks. I get a felony charge, which means guess what? I won't be able to buy a gun again. I won't be able to buy ammo again, potentially. Um, I'll probably lose my job as a result of it, which isn't just hurting my job, but it's hurting my best friend's company. Like the consequences are extreme. Yeah. I'm not willing to risk that. So what I tell people is be alert, have your head on the swivel, like situational awareness, avoiding situations. You can do so much. Everyone who carries a gun, hopefully everyone who carries a gun knows this. You shop on a gun, you become so much more aware of the power that you have, that avoiding confrontation is a huge priority. Keep that same mindset when you don't have a gun and you're now a hard target. So my EDC when I'm international is make myself a hard target. How do I do that? I pay attention. I avoid bad situations. I have a good judgment. I profile people, make on eye contact, be confident as I walk around. And now suddenly there's a ton of people around me who aren't doing that. They're all targets. I'm never going to be the target, which is somewhat selfish. Obviously I can't intervene, but I mean, what can you do? You can't travel internationally with a gun. Right. And like you said, you've got a lot of responsibilities outside of yourself. If something happens to you, yeah. it's your family, it's your job. It's when I was single, I would have risked it for sure. I would have carried in like uh, New York probably, but like with a family now, I'm like, mm, it's too much. 